podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on Red Inca, we look at what the hell is going on with Sri Lankan cricket right now, because it's not going well over there. So I've got an expert who follows the team to come and explain it all to me. I'm Mr. Vasudevan. I'm currently the editorial manager at the Papare.com in Sri Lanka. We spoke about suspensions, coaches, captains, T20 leagues, contracts, the invisible women's team, and why the major changes to how Sri Lankan cricket is run still haven't happened. I have been purposely trying to ignore everything that went on with the suspensions of the Sri Lankan players over the bubble because I figured that on many different levels this is a story that would annoy me. But for people like me who just didn't follow it, can you just take me through what actually happened? Okay, so basically I think this is the key part is that Sri Lanka was struggling in England and have been struggling during this year. And then a Sri Lankan fan put out a video of Danushka Gunatilaka, Kusar Mendes and Nirushan Dikwala out on the streets of uh, Durham around, I think, uh, 11.30 after a game. So that video went viral in Sri Lanka, particularly because of uh, how Kusar Mendes and Dikwala looked in the video. I think they looked like they were doing something dodgy. In Hollywood terms, they always call that as tired and emotional, don't they? They look extremely <laughs> tired and very emotional. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you would call it, but there are a lot of, um, it went everywhere. Uh, I mean, Gurudilaka was not in the initial video, but then, uh, of course, they later found out that the three of them had gone beyond the area where they were allowed to by Sri Lanka cricket. So, of course, they were pulled out of the tour, brought back to Sri Lanka, and the whole incident was investigated. The committee that was appointed to investigate it recommended a two-year ban for Gurudilaka and Mendes and an 18-month ban for Dickwell, plus $25,000 fine, I think, per player. But uh, Sri Lanka cricket then didn't follow the recommendation, but did give all three of them a year-long ban from international cricket. They'll also be banned for six months from domestic cricket, and be fined double the amount. I mean, that's, that's a very, very long suspension. I mean, I understand yeah. the reason behind it, if you spend all of your time convincing England to allow you to come over and England spend all that money on their bio bubble and making everything secure, and then your three players are just caught yeah. completely uh, doing that, that causes big problems politically for Sri Lanka going ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That still seems like a fairly big ban to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if it's simply the breach of the bio bubble, it seems really harsh. Particularly, I would say for Niroshan Dikpala, because he does. The other two, Danushka Gunatilaka has served two suspensions previously in 2017 and 2018. Kusar Mendes was also involved in an incident last year where he didn't really face any sanctions from Sri Lanka cricket, but it was a major incident. But Dikpala doesn't have anything on record. But he's also been handed the same type of ban as the other three. So I think. He would particularly feel hard done by by the administration. And I also think it's important for us to kind of put things into perspective. If Sri Lanka were doing well, I doubt that uh, 
there would have been such a harsh punishment handed out to them. And you are not just on this podcast to explain that particular incident. You are on this podcast to explain all the many different ways that Sri Lanka is not going well. I want to focus on the coaches because I've had friends who have been very close to getting coaching jobs or have been in the final list or have been contacted about going to coach in Sri Lanka. And they quite often get in touch with me and say, you know, what do you know? I hear some bad things. I'm like, it's bad. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a very bad situation. See if I've got all this right. I reckon I'm missing one, and I'm not sure how far back I'm going. Graham Ford, Paul Farbrace for like a millisecond. I'm not even sure he even ended up taking the job. Hathra Singer, who came over from Bangladesh. If I'm not mistaken, Nick Pothas was coach yeah. of Sri Lanka for a little while, and now Mickey Arthur. Am I missing any names? What's that? Is that about five years, four years, six years? This is since about 2014, I think, so... Fabrice was in charge of the team when they won the T20 World Cup. Since then, uh, it's been Graham Ford, Portis, and Hathara Singha, and now Mikiata. That seems to me like a lot of coaches. Could you take me through why it's been so many coaches? Yeah, it's interesting because Hathara Singha and Graham Ford were pursued. I think Kumar Sangakara was involved in getting Graham Ford down to Sri Lanka. He had coached the team previously as well with some success. So he was instrumental in bringing him down here. But once he started his work here, they brought down uh, Asanka Guru Singha and his role as cricket manager kind of overlapped Ford's role. So I, I think that was one of the key areas that Ford was unhappy with because he didn't feel like he was getting what he needed for the team to progress. Hathra Singha was also pursued and I think hailed as like the messiah of Sri Lanka cricket with him. Uh, we know Sri Lanka is still... Well, he coached Sydney Thunder and Bangladesh, hadn't he? So yeah. for a Sri Lankan coach, that's really good experience, isn't it? You know, he'd been involved and everything. So you could see why they were desperate to get him involved, but then not so desperate to keep him. <laughs> yeah, I think to my eyes, what I see is when you hire a coach... Obviously, he comes with his own plans for the team. But what Sri Lanka cricket have a problem with is accepting that. Even with Mickey Arthur, I can see so many critics talking about his fitness policy. That's what brought him success with Pakistan. And that is why he was hired. So similar problems came up with Hathra Singh as well. Hathra Singh also had issues, I think, with some of the senior players. And then he was also not allowed to do things the way he wanted to. Graham Ford was the same. So I think that's like a running theme where they bring them down to do a certain thing, but they don't allow them to go about their business to get that done. Yeah. And I think that without putting the daggers into Mickey Arthur, there's a very big chance that there will be another move when it comes to coaches. Uh, Captains. I had to copy this from Fidel Fernando's ESPN piece because there were so many, I couldn't remember them all. This is ODI captains. Yeah. So in the middle of 2017, Angelo Matthew gave the position to Upal Taranga. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That then went to Tisara Pereira later that year. <laughs> then it went back to Matthews after that. In late 2018, Dinesh Chandamal took over from Matthews. In early 2019, I can't believe I've forgotten this one, but Lassif Malinga suddenly was the captain. Yeah. Then the test playing Dimas Karunaratna was given the captaincy just before the World Cup. 
Then Kusel Pereira got it in 2019. And obviously now that has changed again. And Dustin Schnucker is now the, he is the yeah. captain, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. He? yeah. yeah. Oh, there's so many names there. That's like less than four years. And I feel like I've named every Sri Lankan male. Yeah, it does seem like they've gone through or they're trying to go through every, you know, guy who's played more than 20 games. So weirdly enough, Dimut Karunaratna is probably the most successful out of them all in terms of captaincy because I think he was a last-minute appointment for the 2019 World Cup. He hadn't played ODI cricket in a number of years, but he was able to kind of bring together all the different factions within the team and do well. And then Kusar Pereira then was appointed captain with the selection committee kind of deciding that they want to take a youth-first kind of modern-day ODI cricket route and leave Dimus Karnaratna out of the team. And now Kusar Pereira lasted, I think, one series, just the tour of England. Now he's gone. Dasun Shanika is in. But I think... I know Sri Lanka beat like a, I won't say B team, but it was you know, a B team. Like an Indian team lacking pretty much half of their, uh, you know, most experienced players. But Shanaka is someone who has previously shown some leadership capabilities. He took a very, very young team to Pakistan in 2019 and swept the T20 series there, where I think Pakistan ranked number one at that time. So that was a, like a, Pretty significant achievement on his part. And he's also shown some positive signs during the LPL when he captained one of the franchises. So there is something there. But of course, you can't change a captain every series and expect there to be results because that's what seems to be happening. When they appointed Kusal Pereira, they appointed him saying he's a guy who is sure of his place in the team. That was the reasoning or that's what was told. So on that basis, it's very difficult, I think, to keep the captaincy because the way Sri Lanka has been performing barring this series has been pretty bad. So I don't know if anyone, apart from Vanindu Hasarango and Dushmanta Chamita, are sure of their place in the team. So let's focus on the latest captain, Shanaka, that you've mentioned. There's also a political thing that's going on with him and the captaincy. Again, this is one of those ones where I was like, I cover a lot of cricket, Estelle, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I basically wait for teams to get look like they're going to be really good or start to be really good or are about to decline or are really terrible. With Sri Lanka, I've just been like, they've been so bad for so long. There's a certain point where I'm just like, the narrative hasn't changed. So I don't want to delve into each individual nightmare <laughs> as it comes up. But from what I understand, he was offered the captaincy And at least in part, and this may not even be true, but it is thought that at least that is because the players were not signing their contracts and he was given a deal to be captain because he was willing to sign his contract, which makes him almost like a strike breaker, but not quite a strike breaker. (laughs) But either way, there's a political side to all this. Do you think any of that played a part in him becoming a captain? Yeah, it's very hard to say. I also heard this. It was kind of a rumor that floated around that he had been offered something in exchange for signing the contract. But I guess it's difficult to tell at the moment. But now that he's had success, like I said, it doesn't matter to any of them that this was not a full-strength India team. Now that he's had success, even if it was true, he'd be able to play that down. That makes sense. I like that. Let's just pretend that all didn't happen Mm -hmm. and it's fine. Let's just move on. 
But the contracts is very important. So a lot of the underlying pressure between the players and Sri Lankan cricket come from the men's contracts. Can you explain what the standoff was between those two things? Yeah, so they announced, you know, newly formulated contracts where the players of course graded A1, A2, A3, etc. And uh, one of the biggest problems, according to my understanding for the players, was that they wanted to know how they were graded. Because according to these contracts offered, Niroshan Dikwala and Dananjay De Silva were A1 tier. And the test captain at the time, Dimit Karnarat, and by far, I think, the most successful test player we've had over the last few years, he's in A3 with Angelo Matthews and Kusal Pereira in A2. So I think most fans also had a problem with how do they justify Niroshan Dikwala and Dananjay De Silva being above guys who are captaining the team and who have performed significantly well over the past couple of years. So that was the main issue. Well, when was Kurin Ratney in the World Test Eleven? Was it last year or the he year before? He was in the World Test Championship. I think he was in the eleven at the ICC. Yeah, yeah. So Dick Weller isn't getting in that squad, <laughs> is he? And the fact that he's in Tier 3 and Dick mm-hmm. Weller's in Tier 1. And I know what? Dick Weller is maybe more of an all-format player going forward, yeah. but you can certainly yeah. understand why every single person was like, well, how is this actually done? It seems like that was a mistake. So that's part of the problem. And the players kept saying that there was a problem with the way the domestic structure was going ahead. So for those who don't know, there are 24 first-class teams in Sri Lanka. Like, basically, every eight square inches of Sri Lanka has a first-class cricket team at this point. The players have also been a bit upset at that. They think that they can't get better because domestic cricket is so weak in Sri Lanka. Yeah, I think that's been something that has been a problem for many years, not just in the past five years where we've done really badly. But the thinking still is, okay, we achieved this much success. We were T20 World Champions in 2014. We were World Champions in 1996. We came into this number of finals with this system. So why do we need to change it? I think that is the attitude of Sri Lanka cricket on the matter. So for players also, it's hard because, as you know, if you don't play competitive cricket and you don't have the best players coming up against each other all the time consistently, it's very difficult for them to develop into better players. I think I recall a couple of years ago, even someone like Demut Kaudnaratna talking about how Sri Lankan spinners they're used to taking five wickets in five overs in domestic cricket. So when they come into test cricket, they don't know how to you know, bowl 15 overs to a plan and try to work a batsman out. That's something they have to learn at international cricket. So that is a major problem, I think, that Sri Lanka cricket seems not to be accepting is an issue. Yeah, saying that something brought you success in 1996 and basically ignoring everything that has happened since then other than your one other win sort of does suggest that there are bigger problems going on than the contracts and Cutler players out on the piss in Durham. Although those are not great either. We talked about the men. It was, what, around 2012, 2013 when the Sri Lankan women sort of I don't know what to say, exploded onto the scene, but they beat the Indian women, they beat the English women. It was huge upset and obviously they produced a couple of incredibly talented players. How have they been doing in the last uh, year and a half, Estelle? Well, they haven't played any international cricket. And apart from Chamari Atapattu and Shashikula Siriwaddhanam, who were invited to play the Women's T20 Challenge, the others have played one domestic tournament. Eight teams played seven matches each. That is it. 
since the last match they played in the T20 World Cup, March 2020. No cricket. They have had one domestic tournament. That's it. There's supposed to be a major women's tournament coming up, a World Cup of some sort. So we would expect the Sri Lankan women to do really well there with their lack of practice and their lack of domestic games. Yeah, first they have to qualify. So they've got the qualifiers, I think, in December. Uh, Sri Lanka will probably host the qualifiers. Where they'll have to battle it out with West Indies, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Ireland, Thailand, who have beaten them before, Papua New Guinea, the Netherlands. So those nine teams will be competing for three spots in the World Cup. So, you know, it's very difficult. I think Sri Lanka will probably be fighting for the third spot because West Indies and Pakistan are likely barring any upsets to go through. But that last spot will be the one that they will have to fight for. All right. So no good news there. So let's move on from the women because that sounds even worse. So one of the things that I've been thinking about quite a lot is that Sri Lankan cricket is basically the only sort of major cricket team that for the longest time did not have a major T20 domestic competition. So there was the Sri Lankan Premier League, which was absolutely doomed from the start, which sold its rights to a company for TV that didn't even exist, as far as I could tell at the time. That league completely folded. From there, up until now, with the Lankan Premier League, just took the Sri off, that's all that's changed. But until then, basically, most of the domestic T20 cricket has been of quite a poor quality, short tournaments, not a lot of money involved, not many overseas players involved, and all those sorts of things. So it's very hard in modern cricket to be able to make money other than playing international cricket if you don't have another league that is making money. It means your players aren't getting experienced, means overseas players and coaches aren't coming into the system, and it means your cricket board isn't making as much money. It seems like an absolute trifecta of madness from Sri Lanka cricket to allow that to happen for so long. Why did it take so long to get to another professional T20 league? From what I can tell, mostly it's just that no one was interested in investing in it. I think one of the major reasons is probably how the Sri Lanka Premier League went, like you explained, you know, it was not the most clean looking thing Sri Lanka has produced. So I think that that (laughs) is the major reason. Clean looking thing is such a polite way of putting it. It was a ginormous clusterfuck, wasn't it, from beginning to end. (laughs) So no one's interested in it. But Sri Lanka Cricket has a board. They have government support. Too much government support, you might say, government interference at times. There is money within Sri Lankan cricket that I know it's not the richest country, but if you're ever going to get funding for anything, it's going to be cricket. Plus, Sri Lanka are still playing a lot of cricket. I looked up the numbers the other day. I was shocked at the fact that they're still playing such a high volume of cricket. There has to be something at that point within the system that is not working. There's something within Sri Lankan cricket that is not working when you look at the governance. Yeah, and I think, again, it's something that has been addressed many, many times. And, you know, every sports minister, every Sri Lanka cricket president who comes around promises changes, but those changes don't happen ultimately. So the longer it takes, the more far behind Sri Lanka falls. And you can see it now when you compare teams, that England series, it made things obvious what a massive gap between the two teams there is. Against India, fortunately, we didn't have to face the top team. But it's clear all those things, the longer they take to change things at the root where there is a problem, like, for example, the number of domestic teams, the bigger that gap's going to get. And I think everyone in administration, they have their own agendas. So I don't see anyone 
who really thinks that they need to change it within that system. So that's why things are still the same. They're the same. It's the same people who've been there for basically the last five years, 10 years. I just want to quickly focus on a couple of positives that have happened. The T20 League, actually the new one, the Lanka Premier League, was a success considering it was played during COVID times and everything. I think it looked like a very good thing for Sri Lankan cricket. Am I misreading that or is that how you read it? No, I think it was a very good thing. It gave a lot of uh, younger players the opportunity to, you know, work. Although Sri Lanka was not able to draw some of the biggest names in a global T20 cricket, there were some, you know, good players that came over. Guys like Andre Russell. I think a lot of young players would have learned a lot from cricketers like that. And it's really about experience playing in those high-octane situations, right? Which Sri Lanka doesn't get in the domestic arena. So I think it was a massive positive for a lot of players. But profit-wise, I don't think there was any profit of the first edition. But if it continues, I think we should see at least a few names coming out of that. Uh, guys like Hasaranga, for example, was man of the series, performed really well, and he's continued that form through international cricket as well. Yeah, I mean, most T20 leagues are not successful financially in the first year. So I'm not too worried about that as something that's happened. The, the other positive is that Tom Moody has come back. He's now in the director of cricket role for Sri Lankan cricket. Obviously, he has worked with Sri Lankan cricket before. Must love the country because he keeps taking jobs there, despite everything we have just said. And that seems like a positive as well, because that, again, looks like he is trying to fix the structural problems of the game. Yeah, I think that was a massive appointment, a really valuable one for Sri Lanka cricket. And unfortunately, like the one of the first things he did hasn't gone down too well, the contracts. I think he was a big part of the team that formulated the contracts. But yeah, Tom Modi has experience. He's worked in Sri Lanka before. He's had a lot of success. He's, I think, someone a lot of the players will also respect. So it's a massive appointment. But again, like I mentioned with the coaches, it's not just about hiring the guy. You've got, you've got to let him do what he's there to do. If there's interference, then ultimately it doesn't work. So let's go to the giant elephant in the room then. Millions of coaches, millions of captains. The women are not even playing anymore. The men's team has just gone. I mean, if I was betting on who's going to come last in the World Test Championship, I'd probably put my money on Sri Lanka right at the moment, even though I'm not sure Bangladesh are going to try that hard. Years of being in the wilderness when it comes to T20 cricket because you haven't had a league, despite the fact that I think over the last five or six years, there's been plenty of T20 talent that's gone through Sri Lanka. I think Dananjaya De Silva, if he'd come from another country, would have probably been a much-wanted T20 player on the franchise circuit. But instead, he barely plays because... He never even gets to play in a good league at home. And then you've got Sri Lankan cricket. So Ashley De Silva has been the CEO for 10 years. So some of that was successful at the start. A lot of that has not been successful. And it doesn't feel like anything is massively about to change. Sri Lanka cricket, the board system doesn't make any sense. There's about 4,000 cricket clubs who seem to vote on who ends up at Sri Lankan cricket at any one time, which means that Everything is political. It means that, you know, you have a bunch of smaller situations that don't really follow. And then you've still got the basic problem of the government interference. So former President Rajapaksa's son is the sports minister. They are known for being involved with everything that they want to be involved with. 
So even though we've said that there's a couple of positives there, there's the youth movement of the limited overs cricket, there's Tom Moody, and there's the new T20 league. Fundamentally, it's going to be very hard for there to be any great changes coming through when the actual organization who runs it is the organization who previously ran it into the ground. Nothing has been changed to fix Sri Lankan cricket as an organization. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the issue is with Sri Lanka cricket, is as soon as a series like the past India series happens, as soon as there's that little bit of success, then administrators, they claim that, okay, this system is working. That's what happens. So like I mentioned before, all of everyone who is involved in administration, to my eyes, they have vested interests, they have agendas. So I don't think there's anyone there who needs the system to change. They don't need it. So it's very hard to see something actually happening. If there are changes like really at, at the root of the problem inside the organization, still I think Sri Lanka will have to wait number of years before they see that converts to success on the field. Because like I told you, we've been left behind by all the top teams. So to compete consistently at that level, I think even if things are fixed now or they start fixing things now, it'll take Sri Lanka five, six, ten years to be consistently competitive at the top again. Well, I can't wait for your pieces for the next five or six years as you follow Sri Lankan cricket. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from Cricket's past, well, I have a History of Cricket podcast called Double Century. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Century in your favourite podcast app.